But he marks the day that we talked eight years ago when I told him that he was lovable and precious as the high point of our friendship. Let me tell you about Rafa. As a very westernized high school student in Asuncion, he was trying to learn English. I met him when I was a guidance counselor in his high school. One day he said, tomorrow is my birthday. I'll be 17. I asked him what he expected as a birthday gift from his parents. Well, he said, I told my dad if he really loved me, he'd get me a $60,000 Toyota SUV. <laughs> he was serious. As we talked over the next weeks, it became clear that even more than the car, he really wanted his dad to notice him, to care for him and to love him. But sadly, that didn't happen. And he was ready to accept a $60,000 surrogate father made by Toyota Motor Corporation. As I recall these stories, I do indeed find a common thread, our human spirit. During the past 35 years, our family has shared our lives with people in extreme poverty and in extreme wealth from more than half a dozen cultures. And we have marveled at what we have learned. Externally, we humans are as varied as Northern Indiana weather, but internally, we are one in our need to give and to receive love, in our need to be cared for, and in our need as broken pots to be restored. Today, I want to reflect with you how Goshen College profs and fellow students imprinted on me both God's love and a solid academic foundation for responding to these universal needs. In my experience, in all of the cultures known to me personally, there are areas that may be addressed primarily by the social sciences and others primarily by the spiritual. To deny the need for both of these is an incomplete gospel. I want to challenge you as you contemplate facing a world with many unknowns and negative images, and yea, even darkness, to seize the powerful opportunity you have to be a responder, a transformer, both to the powerless and the powerful. As you continue equipping yourselves for such a task, consider making the core values of this institution an, a part of your gear. Allow me to affirm to you that, for me, the hub of the core values of being Christocentrico, Christ-centered, was and is absolutely essential for who I am today. Without the foundation of Jesus Christ at my core, I really don't believe I would be here today as an honored guest. Allow me also to affirm to you that whatever honor I receive this weekend must be equally shared with my wife and family because they have shared an integral part in making me who I am today. Although I have spent most of the last 35 years since graduation in Paraguay, I want to focus on the most recent 10 years there when I worked as a nurse chaplain in the Takumbu National Penitentiary in Asuncion. That microcosm somehow came to reflect for me transcultural and transhumanity reality. For the sake of clarity, may I point out that the use of the title, God's Transformative Love, takes as a given that divine love addresses all of our human experience and can never be limited to what is merely spiritual. Takumbu prison has a sector known as El Bajo, 
El Bajo is an area where drug trafficking, assaults, and death occur with the greatest of ease. It was there in that sector that a team of inmates and free persons dared to assault the darkness with light, to bring esperanza to desesperanza, hope to despair, and peace to conflict. This poem, which I wrote at the time it occurred, will help you, or may help you, to understand the context. One afternoon in El Bajo, he falls on the mattress he was carrying in his arms when they stabbed him. Fresh red blood pours out of the cut on his head. Each heartbeat shoots it upward until it yields to gravity and falls back onto his face. His eyes are open, looking, but they do not see. Terror and pain peer through the crimson curtain filling the hollows of his eyes. A shout, a shrill whistle blast, static on the guard's radio. The guard looks without speaking or touching the man, but two young men come by and out of compassion, pick him up like an extended hammock and head for the infirmary. I follow them, watching the blood bubbling, boiling it seems in rhythm with his heart. I know how to stop this stream, but AIDS mocks me and laughs at my dilemma. We approach a series of doors. The keepers look at us indifferently, and then allow us to pass. Finally, we arrive at the heavy iron door to the infirmary. The corporal on duty pulls his gun, points it at the hammock, decides it's not a trap after all, and we go on. Soon the red current will cease to flow. After spending several nights in my cell office in El Bajo, I wrote about what I sensed to be the experience of many of the men living there. A night in El Bajo. The greatest happiness you offer me, friend, does not nor ever will fill the void and anguish deep in my heart. Crying without tears, my yearnings become gut-wrenching sighs. But neither help nor a way out appears. My soul drips liquefied laments of grief and pain. I try once more to light fire to the passions I once knew, but the dampened matches will not light or chase away the night. Early in the year 2000, when an entire cell block in El Bajo became unmanageable, the prison administration offered it to the local Mennonite Brethren Church prison ministry to administer and to transform. And so we took it over. Together with another chaplain, I founded and then personally directed the transformation process for the next five years. These digital images will help you to visualize what happened. God's transformative love. For many years, all the men sent to Takumbu National Penitentiary, population 3,000, had about three options in regard to their residence an opportunity for holistic rehabilitation. Tolerable, bad, horrific. Some cells focused on natural colors, with corridors dabbed in herbal green and other earthy colors. Other cells came with a colonial brick house look, or in terracotta style, like this one. Of course, there were the basics in the bathrooms, which may or may not have worked, but these three, sufficed for 100 men. 
The roofs allowed natural solar light to enter and refreshing rains to fall on those who lived there. Trash cans for collecting garbage? Unnecessary. The hallway sufficed. Internal doors and windows? What for? Then in March 2000, something happened. Something new, unknown and wonderful. And today, El Bajo, where trafficking, stabbings and death usually occurred, has a new face. Es un pequeño paraíso. It is a little paradise, says the prison guard. The miracle began when the local Mennonite Brethren Church prison ministry accepted the offer to administer one of the roughest homicide-riddled cell blocks. A year later, another cell block was approved. The results speak for themselves. The courtyards are clean and ordered. The bathrooms and showers, bathroom sinks shine. The men care for their environment and transform it. And the environment starts to transform them. A team of workers pays attention to details, making certain that every man living there is personally cared for. The hallways show that men of God live there and men reflect God's glory. Bible study is the foundation for the change. For true change happens from the inside out. But even with new values, without due preparation, persons are still not ready to leave. Educational institutions help in career planning and preparation for a variety of professions, including brick masonry, computer basics, plumbing, painting, concrete construction, carpentry, and others. Men once illiterate finish their elementary school education, and hundreds are involved in discipleship classes in preparation for or following baptism. By the year 2003, two large cell blocks, El Camino y La Esperanza, house 265 men in the process of transformation. Later, other cell blocks are added. Currently, about 500 men are in the program, and hundreds are waitlisted. Even the grossest darkness cannot overpower the light of one small candle. Assaulting the darkness and overwhelming it with the light of Christ, that is the task we made our own in Takumbu City. Perhaps bearing the light and being light in the darkness doesn't seem complicated, but in that place of profound darkness, it was indeed a challenge. As you consider the following examples of how Goshen's core values were relevant for me, please see the applications that I draw as encouragers for your own life in whatever location you find yourself. One day in El Bajo, an inmate said to me, Pastor, I dreamt about you last night. Taken aback, I asked him to tell me about his dream. Well, he said, I came down into El Bajo and I found you lying, dying. You'd been stabbed. Not really sure that I like this dream. I stumbled a bit and asked him what I said to him when in his dream he'd found me. And he said, you said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Believe me, I was totally taken by surprise. I don't recall ever quoting or talking about that text, but somehow he connected its message of being Christ-centered to me, and it became part of his dream material. It was a moment of comfort and encouragement to me in a violent institution. 
Whatever your experience, consider having a firm foundation of utmost priority. Thinking about core values, I want to lift up two of my most valued profs here at Goshen, Norma Jean Weldy and Anime Charles Fretz, who instilled in me the drive to be a passionate learner. When I considered the option of working as a nurse chaplain in Takumbu, the need for me to somehow become a prisoner with the men that I came to serve seemed obvious. So I spent long days and an occasional night in the cell block and came to know what it felt like not to be able to communicate with loved ones or lawyers or anyone outside the walls. I understood the cynicism about public defenders who urged their clients to plead guilty to a crime they did not commit so as to get a lesser sentence. I raged about the price of justice, freedom, by money passed to a judge's secretary, and a harsher than usual sentence for those who would not pay. I felt fear when the lights in El Bajo went out and the guards disappeared and allowed the law of the jungle to take over. I contemplated violence when as a cell block we were assaulted by a horde of yelling and drug-crazed inmates. On the several nights that I slept over, I trembled at strange nighttime noises and happenings and learned about keeping faith. We must all find ways to continue learning both academically and from people around us. In our learning, let us avoid shortcuts and so-called bargains. Keeping faith is important, but modeling faith as a servant leader day after day is equally important. As we remodeled and transformed a cell block that once witnessed 18 murders in one month, we had a very limited budget for building materials and no way to transport them. Since I was the only resident who could leave his cell for the outside, bringing in supplies became a joyful task. Consequently, our cell block became known as a little paradise, as the leaders worked hand in hand with other inmates to use those supplies. Remembering the meaning of the second S in SST, study, service, and living it, may also transform our world. One day a man serving time for homicide called me to his cell, closed the door, and then proceeded to remove some nearly invisible screws from a wooden chair. Prying off a tight-fitting piece of wood, he handed me a very sharp eight-inch homemade knife, commenting that since Christ was ruling in his heart, he no longer had need of such a weapon, he asked me to take it outside the walls, lest it be recycled. His was the first of scores of weapons that I received from men who had decided to become compassionate peacemakers. When I had a goodly number of weapons, I took them to artist and sculptor, Herman Gugiari, told him their history, and asked him to create a work of art that would proclaim the power of love over hatred. He created and named the sculpture. Note that apart from the Christ figure, it is composed entirely of prison knives and daggers. As you discover ways to be compassionate peacemakers, may you too be surprised by the oomph of what first glance appears to be complete lack of power.
sharing our lives and work with multiple nationalities in Paraguay has formed our family into global citizens, ambassadors, not of the country, but of the ministry of reconciliation between God and humanity and between humans. The NCLIP taught us that poverty or wealth is not reckoned by the possessions you have or the food on your table or even the lack of food, but rather by the abundance of family and loved ones who surround you. So as global citizens, we are truly wealthy. Using the endless definition, may I encourage you all to become filthy rich. In regard to the final core value, how does one become a global citizen? One way is to understand the meaning of culture for service. So then what is culture for service? Grammatically speaking, culture for service must be a verb. How is that? How does it happen? You will know it when you find it, but here's a clue. And please remember, find your own definition. It may be very different from mine. Justice in Paraguay is very slow, and even slower for men in prison, the majority of whom have not been sentenced. Some years ago, someone organized a massive hunger strike and hundreds of men jam-packed two sheds and refused to move or eat until the Attorney General or someone in authority gave them the assurance in writing that the justice wheels would move faster. Concerned about injustices and fearing violence, I asked the director of Takumbu Prison for permission to stay with the men. A Catholic priest led prayers for justice and I added mine. And then as the night fell and the crowded heat of human bodies and anger became oppressive, I simply walked. Walked among the men, offering encouragement to everyone on that all-night assignment. Eventually, the next day, the promises were made and a strike was lifted without violence. Months later, a Catholic inmate whose theology expected apparitions told me you remember that night, the night of the strike? I didn't know you then, but I noticed that as the anger and frustration levels rose, you would walk among us, and the men would cool their violent intentions. Then as you sat down, things started getting hot again, and again you walked among us, and the anger cooled. And so I said to my friends, who is that bearded character? And they told me you were a pastor. But you know, he concluded, that night in the half-light, I only saw your silhouette, and I didn't see a pastor. I saw Christ walking among us. Obviously, I am not, nor am I, Christ. But certainly, each of us may be as Christ, living and walking among humanity. So that is one definition. Your definition may be written or may be on hold. Whatever the case, know that assaulting the darkness, no matter how small your candle, is possible, and that light will overwhelm the darkness. John expresses it like this, in Christ was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never figured it out. God's love truly is transformative, and the darkness has not figured that out either.
So be it, and may it ever be so. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan and Ruth, for this inspiring story about your life work, and we will consider these thoughts as we continue to make our own choices, and we'll pray for you as you continue. As our benediction and sending, I would invite you to turn to 538, Lead Me, Lord. <laughs> 